have with you some statistics and salary ranges for the different positions, because if they can see what they can make in a year, I think that will also help them to realize that, yeah, construction is viable career to get into and I can make money doing it. Welcome to the Gas Compression Podcast. This is the only podcast out there for professionals working in the gas compression industry. Each week, we'll be bringing you interviews and discussions with some of the leaders in the industry to discuss the latest trends and what the future holds. If you're working in the gas compression industry and have always wanted to sit down with the leaders in our field to pick their brain, this show is your chance. This episode is sponsored by Gas Compression Magazine. Published monthly, Gas Compression Magazine provides in-depth coverage of the products, systems, technologies, and news that affect the global gas compression industry. Available in print and digital delivery, subscribe for free at www.gascompressionmagazine.com. Welcome back to the Gas Compression Podcast. I'm excited to continue our series in what we're calling the the blue-collar hiring issues and workforce, labor force. And today we've got Ann Flager. She's the current director of office operations at Hancock Structural Steel. And I also, you're the past president of the National Association of Women in Construction. Is that right? That's correct. It looks like you've been a board member for about 15 years. I've been a member for 15 years. I've been on the national board since 2014. Well, cool. I'm excited to talk about that because the manual labor skilled trades is, I don't know, you probably know the percentage. What percentage is it men and women? Well, we are finally over 10%. It's taken us quite a while to get over 10%. Okay. 90, 10. All right. And well, let's first, let's start with your background. So you've been in construction industry for a while. You're in Ohio, correct? Yes. So tell me about growing up, where you went to school and how you got in the construction business. Well, I went to high school. I graduated from Fremont Ross in Fremont, Ohio. We moved around a lot. Uh, my dad was a drug and alcohol administrator, so he would start a rehabilitation center and then we move. But I actually graduated from Fremont Ross. And then I went to Bowling Green State University for college for a few years and was going into business. Then uh, hooked up with a trucking company and which I later found out that trucking is a part of construction. Uh, You've got to imagine all the things that construction touches, Mm -hmm. trucking to subcontractors, suppliers, GCs, the list goes on and on. So it was kind of interesting that I didn't realize until I joined a general contractor, became a part of NAWIC, that trucking is also considered uh, construction if you're hauling those materials. Then I needed to find a job closer to home. And I applied for a receptionist position at a general contractor in the, in the city that I lived in, in Finley. And the interview went really well. I was speaking to the owner of the company. And towards the end of the conversation, she said, well, I'm not going to hire you for the receptionist position. And the first thought in my mind was, what, what happened? I thought we had a great interview going here. She said, we're not looking for a project administrator right now, but we're going to make a position for you. So instead of being hired as a receptionist, I was hired as a project administrator. And then I moved up to the ranks to senior project administrator. And then I really love numbers. So I got involved with estimating. I estimated pre-engineered middle buildings. And then just recently, I moved from the general contractor to the sister company, which is a structural steel fabrication, when I had the opportunity to be the office, uh, the director of office operations. So I just started this role in October and am loving it. All right. So in the commercial construction business, what is it about that industry that you like so much versus crunching numbers in a different type of industry or company or business? 
I think for me, working in the construction industry is twofold. One, women are not the minority. And I've always been a person that wants to support and help others do and be what they want to be in their lives. So helping other women out. So that's been the one reason why I've stayed in the construction industry. But not too many people can say when they're driving down the road and they see a building that they had a part in, whatever part it is, you know, that building is going to be there for a long time after you're in existence on earth. So just being able to be in an industry like this, that's what I love about it is that I can say I helped build that building there, whether it be I estimated it or I worked on the project side or even hiring people to construct the building or make the steel or whatever part of the building that they had in it. Yeah, that's something I feel like we need to do a better job of in all of the skilled trades. I'm in the machine shop business and we were just talking about that yesterday about from a like an executive position or an office position, I don't do that anymore. I don't get to build anything. I don't get to stand back and look at anything and say, you know, look what I did today. It is. It's really rewarding. So, well, let's talk about your previous role. Are you still involved in hiring and all of that in your current role? At yes. Okay. Yes, I'm still. We're we're looking for welders, fabricators, painters. Yeah, we're, we're feeling the job labor shortage like everybody else is. Okay, so let's talk about that. So this podcast is dedicated to the gas compression industry, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's mechanics, it's companies that, you know, midstream and companies that and upstream companies that would need mechanics and people to go out and work on engines. And I'm in the machine shop business, so I need machinists, mechanics. You're in the commercial construction space. So it really is all the same, I feel, in terms of who we're competing against for jobs. And I've had a couple of people on the podcast, one of them who said, you're not competing with just another construction company. When Amazon comes to town and offers 18 bucks an hour to drive a forklift, well, then now we're competing against them. And so what are your thoughts on the great resignation and the hiring trends in in our industries, in the skilled trade industries? Well, right now, I think pandemic has really hurt hiring people and probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but with what the government has been doing with, I know they've been wanting to help us out, but there are people out there that can work. And I know that now that kind of stopped, they're going to be looking for jobs and we just need to communicate out to them that construction was considered essential. So throughout the pandemic, it remained. Many of us you know, still continued to work. I personally, since I'm not on the job site, I worked from home, but I still participated in estimating in the project meetings and things of that sort. And with the way that technology is right now too, that can really help the younger generation because they're all about technology. We just need to be communicating with them how we're updating our technology in our companies and how they can use it if they would come to work for us. The other thing that being a woman in the construction industry, it's very important for me to get out and talk to not only women, but young men as well, to let them know about getting into construction and how it can be a viable career and that you don't have to have a college degree in many places to work in construction, you can join an apprenticeship program, you know, get training elsewhere, but you don't have to get a full four year college degree and you don't have all that debt. You can be making money as you're getting trained, which I don't think a lot of people realize, but high schools are finally starting to realize that. And so guidance counselors are now more talking to the students about working in construction, not just pushing everybody into college because not everybody's They don't have the well with all to go to college and stick it out for four years just to get a degree and have all this debt. So I am very pleased that we are now getting more receptive when we go to high schools and they'll let us talk to 
the students about construction and all the different possibilities that they have there. But it's really important, I think, for companies when you're looking for help that you look for them and maybe talk to somebody that maybe doesn't have the best resume. Until you sit down and talk to somebody, you really don't know what their capabilities are. So a lot of times, especially with women, if we don't have 100% of everything that's listed on a job responsibilities, duties, things of that sort, we won't apply for the position. Whereas men, if they got maybe 65, 70% of it, they'll apply for it. So women may not apply for these positions that they're very capable of doing. But if as companies, we reach out to them and sit down and talk to them, that number one shows them that the company is interested, it will build their confidence, and you just might find uh, the right person. And I think by going out and seeking employees, not just posting an ad on Indeed or in the paper, but really legitimately going out and trying to find job fairs. I know some of them are becoming virtual now. But if you're actually physically out there looking for employees, I think you're going to get a better response and you're going to get employees that will stay longer because yes, it's a lot of times you get an employee and if they can make it through the first 90 days, you pretty much have them. But if they come and go, and I found that most of them come and go are the ones that we've gotten from just job ads instead of actually physically going out and talking to people and looking for them ourselves. What do you mean by physically going out and looking for people? Like, like attending job-, job fairs in your local area. Again, you know, with technology, they're having virtual job fairs now where your company, you can be at this job fair for a certain number of hours and people can come and they can sign up to talk to you. And you're doing a more one-on-one, almost like an immediate interview. But again, when you can actually talk to somebody right there at the beginning and get to know them and let them get to know you and the company, I think you'll be able to get somebody that will stay for longer than you're just getting somebody that comes in off the street. Mm -hmm. A lot of times if they're just coming in off the street, it's to meet a quota because they're required to stop at so many places to get job applications. So it's a little bit more effort, but I think that in the long run, you'll get better people to work for you and they'll stay longer. You mentioned about high schools and them kind of coming around. That's happening in our area. I'm in Amarillo, Texas, and the Amarillo ISD just built a huge, I don't know what the name of it is, but it's basically a center for juniors and seniors in high school to come in and start getting hands-on training with stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you have a personal relationship with high schools, with counselors that you're seeking them out and you're talking to them and having conversations, or is it just more of a just you're aware of their programs? I get involved as much as I can in the area. NAWIC has really been a big help with that. We have some programs that help to engage students starting as early as first grade all the way up through high school to let them know about construction. And as I mentioned, the schools are more receptive to us coming in. Also, I participate in local panels. A lot of the schools, especially the trade schools or career centers that you mentioned where they go for junior, senior, they want to periodically throughout the year have panel discussions and they want to get a diverse workforce. So even though I work in construction, I've done panels where it was like an automotive program, but just being there in front of them and talking to them about that it's okay to work, even if you're the minority, you can do so much with whatever you want to do. So don't let it stop you if you're maybe not the majority in that career. So with the pandemic, that has really slowed it down. We've tried to do some virtual ones. And there's actually some national companies that are connecting people virtually. So for example, one time I'm here on my lunch hour and I actually attended a high school in Kansas City, Missouri and talked to them about construction. So again, technology is really providing the opportunities for people to reach the students all across the country. Yeah. 
How about an apprentice program? Does Hancock have an apprentice program that you currently use? No, we do not have an apprentice program. We're really a smaller steel fabrication shop. We only have about 15 fabricators and welders and and employees that work in the shop. But we do get a lot of students that come out of our local trade school. It's called Millstream, where like the juniors and seniors, they go to welding for those two years. And we usually bring them in and teach them more, but we don't have a formal apprenticeship program. Yeah, we're kind of in the same boat. We have a lot of skin in the game, or you would if you said, hey, come to work and we'll pay you while we train you. But there's no real guarantee that they'll stick around. And so that's the thing we're trying to figure out how to make that work. I mean, if you've got 500 employees, that's a lot easier to do when you've got 15. Yes. We're trying to figure out that official apprentice program where we can bring people in. Ours is a third generation business. And my, you know, my dad will tell me stories that that's just always how it was. Mm -hmm. If someone came in as an apprentice in the seventies and going to work somewhere else wasn't even in consideration, they would just stay there because that's where they learned. And I feel like that's just not the case anymore. That's when I would connect with your local career centers or trade schools where they're juniors and seniors. Cause I know that those schools are looking for companies to send the students to when they get to a certain point. And then, so they've had some training with them and then you can kind of work with them and finish them up and then they can get to know you as well. And maybe after they graduate high school, we have one student that was in high school and he graduated in 2014 and he works all across the country, but whenever slow, like around Christmas time or whatever, he comes back and works for us for a few months every year. So we have that kind of relationship going. So I think even if they are high school students, you can kind of work with somebody. So it's not all on you as the company, you can get help with the schools in your area. What do you think we can do to make the skilled trades industry more attractive? You said something at the first was great. There is a lot of pride when you can drive down the street and see a building that you participated in building, those kinds of things. So if mom and dad have their son or daughter and take them to a job fair and it, there's lined up and you've got the IT company and you've got Amazon and then you've got a construction company and a plumbing company, a machine shop, what do we need to do in those moments to communicate to potential young people, to potential hires that this is a wonderful industry. One of the things is absolutely right about that you don't need a college degree and you mm-hmm. can make great money. What else can we do to make the skilled trades more attractive? Well, what I like to do is you want to have a diverse personnel at these trade shows. So you just don't want to have a Caucasian male there. You want to have a couple people, you know, female, male, even different ethnicities. But what I like to do when I'm at job fairs is when I see somebody and sometimes students, they're just kind of walking by to get the free stuff or they're just there because they don't have to be in school. But I try to engage them. And so I ask them, what are they interested in? And I can usually almost every time flip that into some sort of career in construction. So like, for example, the kids right now are really into texting and video games and things of that sort. So when somebody mentions that, I said, oh, do you know that you can fly drones in the construction industry? And so if you can try and find out what they're interested in and then show them how it can be related into construction, that's one way to do it. Another thing is I love to tell people is that, as I mentioned earlier, construction remained essential during the pandemic and many of the construction projects continued to go on. So you were still employed, whereas in the hospitality industry, you know, that was really completely shut down. So to let them know that you can continue to work when those types of things happen is really beneficial. Again, mentioning you won't have the college debt and have with you some statistics and salary ranges for the different positions, because if they can see what they can make in a year, 
I think that will also help them to realize that, yeah, construction is viable career to get into and I can make money doing it. Many people today are, are single parents. And so they have to find something that they can live with just a single income and construction can do that for you. That's great. You mentioned about earlier, you said you might get in trouble for saying what you said, but we all know it's true. I mean, it's really just simple math. When people are making 14, 15, 16 bucks an hour, they can stay home for more money. Yeah. Is that really affect you guys at, uh, at Hancock? It hasn't really affected us at Hancock, except in the aspect of getting new employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very good, solid base. And many of our employees have been here for over 25 years even. So it's just getting the people to come in and stay. That's the biggest thing that we're coming into because yeah, it turned out that, well, wait a minute, I can make more money. You know, work for here for a little bit at this wage, then just go away because of the pandemic and get paid more. I mean, they can play the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may make a little bit more being a welder or whatever, but then if they think about it, well, the pandemic's still going on, the government's still going to pay me. So I'm going to make more money sitting at home than I would even being here as a welder. So I'm happy that it has stopped pretty much. Hopefully, cross our fingers, we won't have mm-hmm. to do that again. And I understand why the government did it, but you always have people that take advantage of it. Right. So I personally, I think I would go nuts if I didn't have a job and wasn't keeping busy, yeah. but you know, there are people that can do that. And we're just now trying to build it back up where people have to start. Oh yeah, I do have to start going to work now every day and then trying to get them back into that. Because if you're not used to getting up, we usually are work at seven in the morning and a lot of people aren't used to getting up that early. So it is going to be an adjustment for those people that maybe were at home and trying to get them back going again. But I think you just need to keep communicating with those employees that are coming back from that. Because again, I understand the government was trying to help out, but if you can show them that they do need to be working again, but you're trying to encourage them, just keep talking to them. I think that if you can keep that interaction with the employee, they're more willing to stay because you're working with them and talking to them and asking them how they're doing. I think that's another key point to keeping people. My boss Every day, at some point in time of the day, he comes down and talks to me and sees what I'm doing, how things are going. And that should be done company-wide. Mm-hmm. You know, people, the supervisors, the owners should be talking to their employees all the time, asking how things are going. And also asking them if they have any ideas. Because I think when employees feel valued and that they're really a part of the team, that, even for the generation, that means more to them, I should say, than just the hourly rate or the salary that they're making is that they're feeling part of something. Mm -hmm. You mentioned when asked about the women to men ratio, you said finally at 10%. So are we on a trend upwards of women entering in the construction and blue collar industries? I think we are, but I I think it's still going to be slow going. I mean, it took so long just to even get over 10%. But the thing that we're seeing is that more women are, you know, seated at the table, making the decisions, you're going to see more women out on the job sites. So we're making more of an impact, even though we're only that 10%, because we do have a different way of thinking than men do. And I think that is being seen more as an advantage in the construction industry. You know, we want to keep the projects in budget and get them done on time. And we have that kind of mentality to be able to put together a plan and help to make it go hopefully a little bit smoother. You always have hiccups in construction, but having that interaction with, and the women's point of view, I think you're seeing more of. We've had a lot of companies reaching out to NAWIC to partner with us because they see everything that women are doing. One of our partnerships is with OSHA. They have an alliance with OSHA and we're working with them on safety things. Not only women, but everybody. 
because there are, are things that should be done across the board. What do you think 2022 has in store for us? Do you feel like, I know in the energy industry and in the gas compression, oil has gone up, went back down, now it's kind of back up. So in our industry, it feels like everyone's a little excited and feels like, hey, we're coming back. Let's hire, let's spend some money on these capital projects. What do you feel like in the construction industry and those skilled trades? Yeah, I think that we're going to see more projects coming to light for out for bid. We're already our steel fab shop is already at projects through May. And All right. if we get the next couple of projects, it's going to be through October. All right. I mean, I know 2022 is only next year, but the thing that we're still trying to get through is, of course, the pricing. It just depends on what you're doing. Some people say it's kind of leveling off. We haven't seen too much major increases, at least on the structural steel side. Now, I, I know on the pre-engineered metal building side, those prices are still going up. The biggest problem we're having now is lead times with getting materials. We do all the structural steel, we fab it, but somebody else takes care of the joists and deck. So we have to keep an eye on the lead times for joists and deck. And I know that those are already out into August for anything that we would order in the next couple of weeks. So it's a little bit better than some of the pre-engineered buildings that are like a year plus out and that's an advantage actually to our side because yeah. they're going to say, okay, well, maybe we're not going to do a pre-engineered metal building. We'll just do a structural steel base for it. And so we'll get more of it that way. But I do think that 2022 will be an uptick. We'll have more construction. We'll be able to finally, hopefully get the lead times under control. More people will need to get back into the workforce. Again, going back to our previous conversation, people will have to start working again. So we'll be able to ramp up production more. Good. Well, that's great to hear that you're booked out and things are on the uptick. I love, it just feels like that's just the general consensus. So, well, thanks for coming on. And yeah, our first woman to have on the podcast and it's oh, appropriate cool. as the, is it, you call it NAWIC? Yeah, it's the National Association of Women in Construction. You know, acronyms, construction is full of acronyms. Right, right. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming on and good luck in 2022. And maybe we'll talk again. That'd be great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gas Compression Podcast. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at gascompressionpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is sponsored by Gas Compression Magazine. Published monthly, Gas Compression Magazine provides in-depth coverage of the products, systems, technologies, and news that affect the global gas compression industry. Available in print and digital delivery, subscribe for free at www.gascompressionmagazine.com.